Amen. Okay. Hi, guys. Hi. So uh, a couple of things uh, just to piggyback on Kelly's announcement. Um, number one is, in case it's not clear, don't go to your medicine cabinet and get a half a bottle of Robitussin, okay? Go to the store. It has to be packaged. But it does not need to be name brand stuff. And a lot of times you could buy two bottles of Walmart brand or you can go to Dollar Tree or something like that and you can get a lot more for your money. It doesn't have to be name brand stuff, but it does need to be new and in the package. And the other thing is all of those sports equipment, the basketballs, volleyballs, the tether balls or whatever she was asking for, deflated, okay? They, they can't be inflated, so you have to buy those deflated because um, that takes up a lot of space in the uh, luggage if it's inflated, okay? Um, so um, I, want, I want to just ask you to think about something. Have you ever maybe either ordered something online and then when you got it, it wasn't exactly what you thought it was going to be? Has that ever happened to anybody? Or maybe you're, you, you're at a street fair, swap meet, something like that, and you you buy something, you're like, man, this is an unbelievable deal, and you get it home, and then you look more closely at it and realize, this is not what I thought it was. Um, there's a lot of different ways that people could be taken advantage of by stuff that is not exactly what it purports to be. And so I, w I wanted to illustrate this, and so I went on um, that uh, inter interweb machine, and I typed in um, counterfeits, and most of, the, most of the Google hits that I got were Chinese knockoffs, like this. So if you want a great deal on a poly station, you could get it um, through the internet from China, or if you need a new iPhone by pair, you could get that. Um, <laughs> there's some cool sandals that you could get. I love this one. Microsoft bimbos, that's good. Um, or this one, once you get the pizza home, you're going to go, huh? And I don't suggest eating the chicken from this place, but this is my favorite one. <laughs> do not use a toothpaste called crust. I do not suggest that at all. Um, and the, and the list goes on and on. There are so many different things out there that are, they, they, they look kind of like the real thing, but they're not, right? Um, and the same is true in the spiritual realm. There, there are a lot of ideas, religious ideas, philosophies, spiritualities, different things out there that have some of the trappings of Christianity, but when you really break it down and look at it, you go, this is not what I thought it was. And, and I mention all that because we're in the book of 1 John, so uh, some of you hopefully have already turned there. If not, find your Bibles and find the back of your Bible and go to the book of 1 John. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 today. If you don't know this, we're just going verse by verse through 1 John. And um, we're going to pick it up today in chapter 2, verse 18, because there are a whole bunch of spiritual knockoffs out there that John is trying to warn us about so that we don't end up getting duped. So let's pick it up in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. It's the last hour. Now, 
That's kind of a buzzword. A lot of times, everybody seems to be fascinated with the whole idea of the end times. Everybody is interested in the questions of, you know, what, what happens before Jesus comes back? What are the first things that have to happen? What order does it happen in? When's it going to happen? Is it going to happen in my lifetime? Is it still thousands of years away? And if you don't believe that people are fascinated by this, just go onto Amazon and type end times and see how many books you get. Uh, there's thousands of them, and everybody's got an opinion, and they're ordering things based on the prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Revelation and so forth, and everybody's got an opinion about these last days, these last hours, right? Well, here's a couple of things I could tell you about the last days. If you find somebody who tells you I've done the math, I followed the verses, I figured it out, and I know that Jesus is coming back in 2021, what you can do is just go to your calendar and mark that off. That's not the day. Because the scripture tells us that nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows. Even Jesus, when he was on earth, said, even I don't know the day and the hour of my return. That is only for my father to know. Okay, so when you get one of these guys who says, listen, I figured it out. Jesus is coming back on this month and this week and this day. Just go ahead and plan a beach party on that day because that's going to be a good day. He's not come back on that day. Okay, but everybody seems so interested in this last days, last hour thing. Um, biblical prophecy tells us that in the last days, Antichrist will come. So it'd be good to know when the last days are, when the last hour is. And, and John tells us, hey guys, we're living in the last hour. So here's what we have to understand. When you look at scripture and, and the way that it unfolds from Genesis to Revelation, it sort of unfolds in eras. And, and basically um, the time of Jesus, when Jesus comes to the earth, that ushers in what scripture calls the last days. So we are living in the last days. But guess what? John was living in the last days too. Not just the last days, the last day. Not just the last day, but the last hour. So John, in roughly 100 AD, was living in the last hour. And here we are in 2017 going, man, is my watch not right? We're still living in the last hour. And all that means is from the time that Jesus comes, the last days, the last hour is marked by the coming of the Messiah. And everything from that point on is the last days. So he says, hey guys, we're living in the last hour. And here's what you need to know about the last hour, among other things. It's going to be filled with deception. There's going to be the rise of one called Antichrist at the very end. And, and many of us have read about Antichrist and we have, we have uh, maybe seen movies about the coming of Antichrist and all that kind of stuff. And, and there is going to be one who rises up as a world leader at the very end who is, who is known as the Antichrist and he's going to lead many astray and he's going to be able to do false signs and wonders and he's going to surprise people and he's going to awe people and people are going to be led astray by Antichrist. But... John says, not only is Antichrist coming, but already in his day, he says, many Antichrists are already among us. There are many in that spirit of Antichrist who are already leading God's people astray. What is Antichrist? Well, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. 
the opposite of Christ, that, that which comes against Christ, right? And so let's think about Christ, and then we'll know a lot about Antichrist. First of all, Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost, right? He came to give life more abundantly. He came as the way, the truth, and the life. And the scripture tells us that the devil comes to steal, kill, deceive, and destroy. Exactly the opposite of what Jesus came to do, right? So there is a battle going on. And it's a battle for the mind. It's a battle for the heart. It's a battle for the intentions. It's a battle for the actions of the people of this planet. And so there are those who are going to rise up, who are going to, if possible, lead as many astray as they can. So it would behoove us to have our eyes open and to know what are some of the signs of those who will lead us astray so we can avoid them, okay? So what are some of those signs? How are we going to know them? Well, look at verse 19. He says, they went out from us. They were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So one of the signs of Antichrist is that often those, those in the spirit of Antichrist, those false teachers who would lead us astray, often they have their backgrounds in the church. Oftentimes they start out within uh, what we would call mainstream Christianity, what we would call evangelicalism, Bible-believing churches. Oftentimes they're raised up in those churches. Oftentimes they're even leaders in those kinds of churches. But something happens where they stop teaching the truth of God's word and begin teaching something else. And so sometimes we can be misled or deceived by people who were once accepted as a part of the body of Christ, even accepted as leaders in the body of Christ. And this is where it gets a little uh, tricky for me, and I just want to be honest with you here. Um, when I start thinking about, hey, how do I let them know about false teachers? Well, my temptation is to make a huge list and go, look, just put these names in your phone. And if you see a book by this guy, don't read it. And if you turn on the TV and this lady is preaching, don't listen, right? That's kind of what I want to do. But the truth of the matter is it's more complex than that. It's not as simple as every time so-and-so speaks, he's lying, right? What we really need to do is become so acquainted with the truth that when we hear a lie, we recognize it as a lie. But even though I want to avoid sort of this finger-pointing and name-calling and all that, I also am a shepherd, and my job is to protect the flock, and part of what I want to do is both give an example and to help you to understand who you need to be, um, uh, you know, a, a distance from. So I'm just going to give one example. It's just a fresh example that's current in our, in our culture today. There's a guy by the name of Rob Bell who's become really, really popular and well-known. Rob Bell was a, a pastor in the Midwest about 15 years ago. And man, he was like the coolest pastor. Um, he, he had a whole different way of sort of explaining the Word of God. Um, he was really cool and young and hip, and, and he was approaching things from a different point of view, and a lot of young people were flocking to his church and learning, and a lot of people were coming to know Jesus, and a lot of good things were happening, and, and people in churches like this were using his materials and going, man, this guy's a really good communicator, and we should listen to him. But over time, Rob Bell just began to get further and further and further. He was, he was this innovative guy who was speaking the truth, 
And there got a point to which he became way more interested in being innovative than speaking the truth. And, and gradually, he just began to move further and further from the basic doctrines of the faith, and he began to teach falsehood, not only in his preaching, but also in his writing. Uh, he has written a number of best-selling books, uh, and in one of those books, um, basically, the main teaching of the book is this, hell does not exist, and everybody is going to heaven with or without Jesus. Now... It's a long way from I'm an innovative guy teaching the word of God to there is no hell and everybody's going to heaven. I mean, the gospel is that there is only one way and that is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So when someone teaches that you can be saved apart from Jesus, that's not a mistake. That's a false teacher. Okay? That's a foundational issue. He denies hell uh, he's now become a strong proponent of gay marriage. He believes that all people are saved with or without a relationship with Jesus. He is a false teacher. And there are many others just like him. And a lot of them, unfortunately, are on television. And a lot of them are on the radio. And nowadays, it's become even worse because with the internet, we have instant access to almost any teacher in the world, right? So some, you guys know this, a lot of you um, spend time during the week and you'll, you'll go on YouTube and listen to a sermon from John Piper or, or, or Max Lucado or some Christian teacher and you go, man, I wish he was my pastor, right? And, and you can do that. But, but the problem is the good guys and the bad guys are all mixed up on YouTube, right? And, and so nowadays, you don't even have to have money, you don't have to have notoriety, you don't have to have anything, you just need to know how to upload a video, and you can get it out to millions of people. So false teaching is spreading faster today than it ever has before. The internet just dwarfs radio and television in terms of how quickly you can just, uh, get uh, information out there. So Rob Bell... As you see in the picture, he's pictured with Oprah Winfrey. He no longer calls himself a pastor. He no longer calls himself a Christian, but he does call himself Oprah Winfrey's spiritual advisor. And so Oprah Winfrey, uh, with all of her strengths and all of her talent and all that kind of stuff, is one of the biggest mouths for the New Age movement in our world today. And and he is right there alongside of her. So whatever she has in terms of her little small voice, like some of us have heard of her, right? He's all over the Oprah Winfrey network. And, and anybody who likes and respects Oprah now listens to Rob Bell. All I'm saying is, sometimes they come out from among us. But you can tell when they are no longer with us. And it's the standard of God's word that tells us that. Remember, Lucifer himself created the template for deceiving God's people. We, we looked at Genesis 3 last week, but just put a finger in 1 John and flip back to Genesis 3. And, and last week we looked at like verses 5 and 6 and saw that uh, Eve gave in and, and how the temptation worked with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. This week I want us to see what led up to all of that. So we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. And it's a familiar story. Most of you know it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it, nor touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the template for deception. This is how, watch closely at how he does it. He doesn't just come out and tell a bald-faced lie to Eve. He starts with confusion. He begins by talking about what God said and trying to confuse it. So he says, has God said, it's a question, has God said that you cannot eat from any of these trees? And Eve doesn't fall for it. She says, no. God has not said we can't eat from any of these trees, but there's one tree in the center of the garden from which we cannot eat or even touch it or else we'll die. Now, is that what God had said? No. He's, he never said anything about touching it. He just said you can't eat from it, right? So the confusion is beginning to take place. And that's what false teachers do. They start with confusion. They get us questioning what we thought we knew, wondering if maybe we misunderstood, and open to uh, new interpretations, okay? So he begins with a question and starts to confuse her. In verse 4, he tells her an outright lie. He says, you surely will not die. Is that true? No, it's a lie. The moment that they partook of the fruit and began their life of sin, death came into the world and it has not left since, right? The wages of sin is death. That's the truth. So he lied and then he follows the lie with a temptation. First confusion, then a lie, and the lie is followed with a temptation. So now that you're confused, you can believe this lie. And now that you believe this lie, you can act in the wrong way. So then he tempts her and he says, basically, hey, look, it's good for food. You should eat of this tree. God knows that when you do, you'll become just like God. And he's trying to keep you down. Basically, the argument is, listen, God has put rules and standards in our lives because God wants to hold us under his thumb. God is just like a big, mean guy in the sky who wants to hold us down. And God knows that if you stop listening to him and start making your own decisions and quit being his little follower but lead your own life, if God knows that when you do that, you will discover that you don't really need him, you could be your own God. And that's what she believed and that's what led to death. So it's confusion followed by lies, followed by temptation. And that's the pattern that is followed today by so many false teachers. They try to confuse us about what God has said. So many times, one of the biggest challenges with false teachers is that so many false teachers are teaching with this book in their hand. So many false teachers are standing there with their Bibles open, reading you a verse from the Bible and twisting it in order to teach false doctrine. So many times it's misquoted, so many times it's taken out of context, so many times there's some story about how, well, if you were as educated as I was, you would know that everybody thinks it means this, but it really means that. And they get us wondering, and they get us questioning, and they get us no longer sure that we know what God says. And then they lie to us about God's character. 
And the implication is you no longer have to do the things that God calls you to do. You no longer have to refrain from the things that God calls you to refrain from because after all, we were created for freedom. Didn't Jesus die to set us free? And if we're free, then why are there all these standards that God has for our lives? Why don't we just start leading our own lives? Do you see the lie? And when we, when we have that lie, he has said to us essentially, you should become your own God. Stop following the God of the scripture. And they tempt us to follow after them rather than following after God. But if Genesis 3 teaches us anything, it's that following after any kind of false teacher leads to death, destruction, and mayhem. Always. So John warns us about these antichrists. And he tells us what to look out for. Go back to 1 John now. And we're in 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up in verse 19. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. But you, Christian, have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. What is the spirit of Antichrist? It is to deny that Jesus is the Christ. So who is the liar? Anybody who claims that Jesus is not the Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the only way. Anyone who claims that Jesus is somehow not who he says he is. See, here's the thing we have to understand. He, he uses the term here, he says, who is the liar? And, and that's exactly true to the Greek language. In the Greek language there, it is the definite article before the word liar, which says the liar, not a liar. So he's not saying who is a liar, and then it could be like any of us because we've all lied. He says who is the liar. The implication being that there is one liar and that the rest of us when we lie are just uh, conduits for those lies. He's the liar. He is, Satan is known as the father of lies. He is known as the deceiver. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's what he does. So the interesting thing is that there is not only just one foundational liar, there's also only one foundational lie that the enemy tells us. He tells us the same lie over and over. He packages it differently. He dresses it up differently to try to confuse us. But basically, the same lie is told again and again. Turn to the book of Romans. Now, in Romans chapter 1, New Testament, right after Acts, you come to Romans, you get to 1 Corinthians, you went too far. Romans chapter 1, and, and I wish I had time to just preach through the whole first chapter of Romans, but that's about seven months for me, I would say. So I'm going to narrow it down a little bit, and I just want to touch on something in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, he's making, he's building the foundation for his argument that is basically man has a major problem and he needs a savior, okay? That's what he's laying out. And in Romans chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So all this unrighteousness and ungodliness is connected to the suppression of truth. 
When we suppress the truth, we are susceptible to unrighteousness and ungodliness, which leads to the wrath of God. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Let me just stop there for a second. What he's basically saying is that every one of us as a human being is created in the image of God. And God plants within every human being a basic knowledge that there is a God and that they need to know that God. That's why man is incurably religious. No matter where you go, what, what kind of people group that you're around, you will find that all throughout the world and all throughout history, people have always been religious. And where they don't have the truth, they create their own religion and they will worship anything. Because placed within us is a knowledge that we were made to have a relationship with our creator. He goes on to say that we're placed in this magnificent creation of God, the complexity of which is so overwhelming, none of us could begin to understand even the, even the most elementary factors of the way that the world and the universe works. And he says that you should know simply by the obvious creation that there must be a creator. So you have it within you, that there is a God, you look at the evidence in creation and there's no reasonable understanding except that there is a God and still we suppress the truth. And he says, when we do that, we're without excuse. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they, came, they became futile in their speculations. We begin to speculate. And their foolish heart was darkened. When our heart is darkened, we become fools. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So in our, in our darkened hearts, when we refuse to acknowledge God, we will worship something. We will worship the creation rather than the creator. And I don't know that that's ever been more prominent in world history than today, where people bow down and worship creation. We will worship animals, we will worship trees, we will worship stars, we will worship the sun. That has been true for all time. But there is a growing sense in our culture today that nature itself is divine and that we ought to worship mother nature. Guys, anything that is created is not the creator and only the creator is to be worshiped. We are the creation, we worship the creator, and in our foolishness, we'll, we'll worship anything, he says. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, let's just stop there. They, they were given over by God. And, and into this depravity as they began to sort of fall down this slippery slope. And if we had time to continue, you would see that this slippery slope continues until man is just destroyed and utterly helpless and hopeless apart from Christ. But the interesting thing here for our purposes today is verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth for a lie. And once again, if you read this in the Greek, you will see that it does not actually say they exchanged the truth for a lie. It says they exchanged the truth for the lie. The lie. There's one lie. 
And the lie is the lie that he told in the garden that you could be your own God and you don't need God. The lie is the same lie that he's always been telling people that God does not have your best interest in heart. You really can't trust him. You have to trust yourself. The lie is the same lie that people have been swallowing today. It is that, that you are made to worship, but you don't want to worship the actual God. You should worship something in his creation. And that is the, that is the form that that lie takes, but it is the same lie every time it is told. And today, we see that lie just about every time we turn on our televisions, every time we turn on our radios, every time we go to the movies, every time we look at a billboard, we are, we're told that lie when we go to school, the lie is told again and again and again, and it's just packaged in different ways. That's the lie. There's one liar and there's one lie. The lie has always been that God is not God, that some other God is better followed and worshiped. And the lie takes a million different forms, but it basically calls us to become our own God. So now that we've unmasked the lie, can we talk for a second about the truth? Because here's the central and foundational truth of all of the scripture. Ready? Jesus alone is the Christ. That's it. That's the foundation of everything upon which our faith system is built. Jesus alone is the Christ. He is the only way to God. He is the only path to heaven. He is the only truth, the only life. He is the only one who can give us eternal life. But listen, if you deny Christ, you're making the ultimate error. It's the most common spiritual error that we see in our society today. Most people don't have a problem with God in general. And even though there's there's a sort of a rise in the noise of atheism these days in our culture. There, you are still very hard-pressed to find a real, genuine, intellectual atheist. A person who really, really believes there's not a God. Every atheist that I know and have had a chance to get to know and talk to basically believes two things. One, there is no God. And two, I hate him. And the, the issue is not really whether there's a God. The issue is I'm mad at God. The issue is I don't want to deal with God because I believe the lie, right? Most people don't have a problem with God. They have a problem when you name that God Jesus. That's the problem. As a pastor, I get invited all the time to do, you know, community events and and, and sometimes they'll ask me to come up and pray. You know, it's a big community event. We have Pastor Doug here from Grace Fellowship. He's going to come and pray. And so, you know, the mayor or somebody puts their hand on my shoulder and says, just remember, it needs to be a non-offensive prayer. <laughs> what that means is don't mention Jesus. I could pray in your name, but if I pray in the powerful, glorious name of Jesus Christ, the mayor gets letters right? There's something about that name. There's something about Jesus, and it's his, it's his exclusive claim. Basically, it's incredibly offensive to say, I am the only way, and all the rest of you are wrong. People don't like it. And, and what John is telling us is that if you make the mistake, go back to John, 1 John chapter 2, is telling us that if you make the mistake of denying Jesus, verse 22, who is the liar? but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. If you deny Jesus, you deny God. And that's a huge problem. 
And a lot of people would say, you know, I agree there's a God, but I just can't believe Jesus is the only way. And how arrogant are you Christians to think that of all the billions of people in the world who think there are other ways, that yours has to be the right way. And all I can answer to that is, listen, if you think of it as arrogance, then call it what you will. I'm not the one who made the claim. The one who made the claim is the one who rose from the dead. And that gives them credibility in my book. But John says, we need to watch out because there are false teachers. Somehow, when we say that Jesus is the only way, everybody gets upset. It turns people off. They're fine with a God. They just don't want it to be Jesus. He's so pushy. He's so demanding. He expects full devotion. And people don't like that. But John says, listen, it doesn't work that way. Verse 22 again. Who's the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Father. He's saying, listen, nothing has changed about the gospel from the beginning. The gospel is not a fluid, evolving school of philosophy and thought. The gospel is the truth of the word of God delivered forever to the saints once and for all. That's the gospel. The same gospel that has been passed down generation by generation for 2,000 years is still the truth today. And we either hold that truth tenaciously or we will easily be led astray. And there are many people out there who are trying to lead people astray. In John's day, among others, there were the Gnostics. We've talked about them for several weeks. There were just this, this philosophy that said, listen, there are a few people that are kind of on a higher plane who have secret knowledge that other people don't have, and you should listen to them because they know stuff that you don't even have the ability to know, so just follow them. Now, we hear that and go, that is so stupid. Why would anybody follow somebody like that? Guys, do you understand that the vast majority of the New Age philosophy in our world today is that exact lie? This, this whole idea that there's this higher plane of existence and there's astral planets and, and ways of uh, hearing from angels and all of that kind of stuff that will speak to me even though he's not speaking to anybody else. Guys, that's, that's what Scientology is all about. That's what Christian science is all about. That's what half the New Age garbage that you can find on YouTube is all about. That somehow there are some who are at a higher plane of understanding and the rest of us will just not ever understand. And a lot of this is sometimes couched in Christian terms and sometimes there are Bible references, but it's always misquoted. It's always out of context. So many people are caught up in these things. And, and one thing all of these schools of thought have in common is the denial of the exclusive claims of Jesus. Once you deny Christ, you're no longer dealing with the truth, period. You have believed the lie. So let me give you some things to watch out for. If, if he's saying there are many in the spirit of Antichrist, even among us today, teachers who will lead us astray, let's think about what we need to watch out for. Let's get practical. First thing is this. Be careful of anybody who claims to be a special spiritual teacher, some kind of guru. Be really careful about that. Whenever someone gets elevated to the role of guru, his uh, followers are in big trouble. Let me give you some examples. Mormonism. 
There's a guy named Joseph Smith, found some special tablets. Nobody ever got to see them except for him. Had some special way of viewing those tablets, heard from an angel, and now he got this special revelation. And the result of that was a, a, a cult that is continuing to lead people astray by the millions even today. We have, we have Jehovah's Witnesses where where you know, Russell and Rutherford have these new insights and ideas to the Scripture, so they rewrite the New Testament so that it matches their view of the Scripture, which makes Jesus not God, but just some descendant of God. We need to be careful about all this. Listen, I don't care how good the teacher is. I don't care how well-respected the teacher is. Only God's Word is inerrant. Okay, that was not enough amens. Yeah. Every believer has the Holy Spirit and is capable of understanding God's truth. Listen, this is important. I have been the senior pastor of this church for over 25 years. That is a lot of teaching and a lot of preaching. But sometimes I'll hear somebody who's been in the church for a while and I'll overhear them and they'll say, well, Doug says, and I always cringe because here's the truth. It doesn't matter what Doug says. And it's, I, that wasn't my son-in-law that said that. Listen, it doesn't matter what Doug says, and it certainly doesn't matter what Ricky says, right? It matters what God's word says. And, and if you want to know whether a teacher is right or wrong, guys, you have to do the work. Open the book. We have to compare what a teacher is saying with what the Word of God is saying. And a lot of us, frankly, are too stinking lazy to open our own Bibles and ask, is what I'm hearing true? Guys, it has to change. If we're ever to be protected from these wolves in sheep's clothing who are attacking the sheep on a daily basis, we have to become people who are familiar, not with our uh, preacher, not with our favorite guru, but with the Word of God itself. It matters what the Bible says. And the only way to know if someone is teaching is correct is to measure it against the Bible. So be careful when some hotshot guru comes up and starts saying, you have to listen to me because I have special knowledge. God's word and the Holy Spirit are sufficient for all believers to understand the truth. Now, does that mean we shouldn't pay attention to Bible teachers? No. God has given gifted teachers to the church to help us to understand, but they're supposed to help us understand the Bible, not their new twist on something. Now, you'll see the word anointing in this passage several times. It's in verse, I think, 22, verse 27. Um, and that word in this context is simply referring to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we have been given the one, anointed with the one, it says, the one being the Holy Spirit, who is able to give us these insights. So guys, I just want to encourage you, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit abides in your life, you have everything you need to be protected from falsehood and to understand the truth. You have the written word of God, which is completely objective, and all of us can measure it together. And you have the subjectivity of the Holy Spirit who will guide you into understanding and will convict you and direct you. But guys, listen, when you think you're being directed by the Holy Spirit and the direction is contrary to the Word of God, it's always the Word of God. Because the subjective is dangerous. It goes through our filters. But the Word of God is always true. So there's an anointing. But who has that anointing? All of us. 
as Christians, not just a spiritual guru. So when some guru claims to have a special anointing that the rest of us don't have, we need to be very suspicious. Let me give you some names. Charles Manson, David Koresh, Jim Jones. The list goes on and on and on. Another thing we need to watch out for in addition to these gurus is we've got to be careful about any new and novel teaching. Anytime some teacher comes up and says, listen, I've discovered this in the book of you know, uh, Amos. It says this and nobody ever paid attention to it, but it's the key to unlocking the New Testament. That guy's crazy. Okay? Listen, I'm, gonna try, I'm trying not to be too harsh, but guys... Stop buying the stupid books about codes, okay? Some idiot says, oh, if you count the 14th letter of each word in the Hebrew, you will come up with this code that directs you to this time and place, and you'll know when the second coming is. Guys, tear that stuff up, light it on fire, and flush it down the toilet. It is garbage, These new ideas, hey, no one knew this before, 2,000 years of spirit-filled, gifted Bible teachers, and nobody ever understood this before, guess what? The guy with the new idea is the wrong one, always. Be really careful. We have to be careful of anyone who claims to have a new revelation, claims to have a new understanding that nobody else has had. It's false doctrine. And we don't have time to get into this, but if you went to Galatians, you can write this in your notes. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, that's where he basically says, listen, even if an angel appears to you and gives you a gospel different than the one you've already received, let that angel be accursed, because it's not an angel of God. So be careful with new teaching. Another thing we need to be careful of is anything that diminishes Jesus. Look again in verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Redeemer, the way, the truth, the life? Listen, friends, Jesus is the whole deal. Everything hinges on him. If we don't get Jesus right, we don't get anything right. If we start worshiping a version of Jesus that is not what the Bible describes him as, we're worshiping a false god and we're naming him Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who paid the price for our sins, the one who rose again bodily on the third day, the one who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us constantly 24-7. That's Jesus. And when we start talking about somebody other than that, we're listening to false teaching. It's all about Jesus. Any teaching that makes less of him is false teaching. It comes from the Antichrist. It's all about Jesus, period. End of discussion. So what do we need to do? First of all, we need to remain in him. Look at verse 28. Now, little children, abide or remain in him So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Guys, we need to abide in him. That means to be one with him and never separate ourselves from him. 
You know, in the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about seed that gets scattered and the seed is the word of God and the soil is the human heart. And he says, you know, there's some soil that is just rock hard and, the, and never even takes root and the seed just blows away or the birds eat it and it's gone. And then there's some seed that lands in soil that's soft on top, but just underneath it is a rock. And that rocky soil, it can't take root. It pops up for a second and then it just burns out within the day it's gone. And then there's another soil that it actually does grow up in the soil. The problem is there's weeds and thorns all around it that choke it out. And those weeds and thorns, he says, are the cares of this world. And he says, and there's a fourth kind of a heart. And the soil of that heart has been prepared by God to receive his word. And when his word takes root, it grows up and continuously bears fruit. So when we, when we look at somebody who once named the name of Jesus and once signed up for church and once walked the aisle and once filled out a card and prayed the sinner's prayer, and we see all of that, but we don't see any fruit in their lives, we have reason to be concerned. He says, the real followers are the ones who abide. Now, does that mean we never stumble? Does it mean we never fall? Does it mean we never take any detours and get, get a little bit lost at times, even if we're true followers of Jesus? No, it doesn't mean that. I give you as examples people like David, Moses, Abraham, Peter, like great men of God have been known to take some detours. That's not what I'm talking about. But man, if you live your whole life on a detour, you're not one of his. That's the truth. So what is John saying here? Stay faithful to Jesus. Abide in him, make your home in him, cooperate with him, do the things that will help you grow. Don't flirt with the world. Make Jesus the center of your life, not just a little addition. Let me close with this. I want to give you a, a visual, a picture in mind, to keep in mind of what your Christian life is like. And I think of it like a wagon wheel, okay? So, so this wagon wheel, these are the kind of wheels that everybody had in their vehicles when Dave was a kid, okay? Just these wagon wheels with these wooden spokes, right? We've all seen these. So here's the thing. If your life is a wagon wheel, I'm sounding like a guru now, right? <laughs> if your life is a wagon wheel, some of us, you know, every spoke is an interest. Like our, our job, our, our marriage, our children, our hobbies, our finances, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the spokes of our lives. And and for a whole lot of people, Jesus is one of those spokes. And, and so as the wheel turns, you know, the Jesus spoke comes around like, you know, every Sunday. And then gets to be a part of our life on that Sunday. And then the other spokes. That's not what God has in mind. Guys, the abundant life that the Bible talks about is not Jesus as one of the spokes in your wheel. It is Jesus as the hub of your wheel. So that every single spoke, whatever it is in your life, better be connected to him or it has no business being in your life. And if we have a life where Jesus is the center, we're going to find that he infiltrates our relationships, our finances, our thought life, our activities, our work, and so on and so forth. He's going to become part of everything. And that's the picture that he has in mind. And what the enemy wants to do is distract us and go just a little bit of Jesus added to you and that's enough. It's all about Jesus. So where does Jesus fit in your life? Is he on the periphery? Is he on a shelf so you can go get him if you ever really need him? Or is he right there in the center? Are you abiding in him? Or are you just sort of winking at him and waving as you go by from time to time? Are you trusting in him? Or are you driven and tossed by every wind of doctrine that comes your way? Guys, if you've gotten a little off track... 
if you find yourself a little bit on a detour and you realize that, my goodness, I've been living with Jesus as a spoke instead of Jesus as the hub, let me just encourage you from the bottom of my heart, there is no time like the present to change that. Like Jesus is all about moving from the spoke to the hub. That's what he wants, but he's not going to shove himself down your throat. You're going to have to say, Jesus, take over. And when Jesus takes over, everything changes. There's no time like the present to reaffirm reaffirm your devotion to Christ and submit yourself completely to his will. If that's a decision you make, it's a decision you will never, ever regret. Let's stand together and we'll pray.